1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I'd like to thank Andrews for that reading this morning. Thank you for your presence here today. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot visiting. We're happy that you're here. Certainly invite you to be back with us at every opportunity that you have. Uh, it's a blessing for us that you're here today. I wanted to talk about a, a subject this morning I think is very important, something that plagues us all at different times, and I think it's something that's very important that we need to look at and think about uh, today. So what we're talking about when Christians dispute, and not necessarily when believers and unbelievers have arguments, we and people of the world, we're talking about people in this room. We're talking about us as Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ together. What happens when, when we dispute, and how, how does that come about? Some things we want to think about this morning. Why can't we all just get along is one of those questions we've probably all asked ourselves at a certain day and a certain time before. Why is there disunity? Why is there discord? Why is there disharmony? There's disagreement, there's fights, there's arguments, there's conflict. And why do they, those kind of things happen? You know, churches split. Christians struggle in our relationships sometimes with one another. And why, does, why are those things happen? Why does that come about? That's some of the things that we want to talk about this morning. Well, the, one of the things we want to talk about first is it's, it's not a new problem. That's something that's been going on since the beginning of time, since the Garden of Eden, since sin entered into the world. You know, Cain killed Abel. There was struggle, there was fight, there was disagreement, dispute between these brothers, and he killed his brother. You know, Peter, Peter and Paul had conflict. They had problems in Galatians chapter 2. Paul withstood uh, Peter to his face because he wasn't practicing what he was preaching. And he uh, just, uh, divided himself among uh, the Jews and went away from the Gentiles. You know, uh, Barnabas and, and Paul had a dispute over John Mark in Acts chapter 15. The dispute was so sharp that uh, between them, the conflict was so sharp that they went opposite directions. And they kind of split up for a short amount of time and went on their different missionary journeys at different times. So we, we think about uh, a couple of women in the church in Philippi, Yuda and Syntyche, and they couldn't get along. They weren't of the same mind. They weren't of the same spirit. They had some difficulty among themselves so much and so sharp that Paul said, y'all need to be of the same mind. You need to start getting along. You need to think alike. And these are some of the things that we want to talk about in, this morning. Why is there a dispute and why, why does that happen? You know, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said that these things were going to happen, that their offenses will come. He said it's, it's impossible that offenses won't come in the world. But he says, woe unto you and from the, the one that's the offender, from the offense that comes. He said, it'd be better for you if a millstone or a big rock was tied to your neck and you were thrown in the depths of the sea and you were drowned to death then the offense comes from you. So this is something that's very important. 
something that we don't want to be the offender. We don't want to be the guy that would be better for us to be drowned in the depths of the sea with a rock tied to our neck because the offenses come from us. So it's something that we want to think about very closely, very important. So what is the proper Christian response? And what do I need to change or what do I need to do personally in my life for some things that we want to pick up on this morning and think about as we go through our study? In Matthew chapter 18, that we've already mentioned this morning and how Jesus mentioned the offenses and the problems of offenses, He talks about going to your brother. And we're not going to talk about in detail that in detail this morning, but I want you to remember that and think about the instruction that's given to us by the writer and by Christ. How that you, when you're offended, you go to your brother, you talk, to, uh, talk it out, you work it out, you work out the offense, you work out the problem. And that's so important. And I want you to remember that today. And it's part of everything that we're going to discuss this morning, although we're not going to go into detail in Matthew chapter 18. Remember that instruction that's given to us. So why is there conflict? Why, why is it inevitable? Why is it going to be around? And the short answer is sin. Because of sin, there's conflict. In, in uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, it says, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Do you, desire, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Because of sin and our battle with the flesh, and because of our selfishness, is the reason that we can't get along. And it's an internal conflict. You know, a lot of times it's easy to blame it on someone else. You know, we have it's, it's you, not me, and have the you marked out because so many times I want to blame somebody else that it's their fault, it's their problem, it's not me, it's you that has the, the problem. And that's just not the case. Problems come, these conflicts come from internally, from my sin, from my uh, unwillingness to humble myself and be submissive unto God. And that's what we want to think about this morning as, as we consider that it's an internal conflict. It's so easy to blame my circumstances or blame somebody else, but really it's me that so many times is the problem. And too many times we have resentment and hurt that, and arguments that go on unresolved for years and years because we simply won't follow the instruction of the Scriptures, because I won't humble myself and admit that I'm a sinner, and I go to my brother and try to work it out and try to get along, and I arbor that grudge and, and resentment in my heart, and it's a problem in, in my life, and, and I know in many of our lives at many times. There's embarrassment. There's insensitivity that we need to have. So let's focus on what I can do personally, what you can do in your life, and the changes that we need to make as we think about this dispute and arguments among brethren. Well, it's very evident as we look at the Scripture that it is Christ's desire, it is God's will and His desire that we all be in unity and that we all be at peace with one another. It's very evident as, as you, we're going to talk this morning about Peter and Paul and about their arguments, about their admonition to us and how to get along specifically. And everywhere and every place that they went, they taught these things that Jesus taught how important unity is and how important peace is and that it's His desire for us. Paul, as he goes to the church in Ephesus, he teaches them about unity, the importance of that, getting along. Jesus, as He prays for His disciples, that they may all be one, just as you and I, Father, are one. 
So the model that we have for this unity and peace in our life is the model of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. That's the model that we want to have, that they may be one, Father, as you and I are one. Same thought, same mind, same purpose, same goals and objectives. In 1 Corinthians 10, as Paul goes to the church in Corinth, and how that there's divisions and how that there's problems there, he said, I want you to all agree that there be no divisions among you, that you all be united in the same mind and in the same judgment, that you all think the same thing. This is admonition from the Lord, it's from Paul, it's from Peter, it's what God wants us to do to get along and not dispute and have these disagreements and arguments and discord and disharmony among us. When we think about that word unity and how that means, Paul gives this perfect example in 1 Corinthians of the human body. Yeah, there's all kinds of different parts, but they all work together to perform a function. There's a lot of different muscles, a lot of different nerves, a lot of different things just to allow me to talk this morning that are all working together. Yeah, it's different parts, diversity of parts in my body, but they're all unified. They're all working together that I might be able to deliver a message, that I might be able to think and speak and do these things that, that we're doing on a daily basis that we constantly don't think about. That's that unity, that's that agreement and harmony together in one. So the oneness of the Trinity, again, is this model for us. So what is our motivation for unity? And it's interesting to me, very interesting, to see how Peter and Paul both use remembering what Christ has done for you as our motivation for unity. That we should should be unified, that we should have the same mind and same peace. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we have Paul here and he's using the the example of Christ, and he's telling how he submitted himself and became humble and obedient to death, even the death on the cross. He made himself of no reputation, came to this earth and became like a man and humbled himself and died on the cross for you and I. So he uses this as motivation to the people that he's writing to in, in, in Philippi, the church in Philippi. Remember, recall to your memory what God has done for you what you could not do for yourself. You're covered and buried in sin, and there's no way out of it without what Christ has done for you. How important that is for us to remember. Peter uses the same admonition to his readers as he writes to those in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he's talking about them that, remember, you've been begotten to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the gospel, through the death, the burial, the resurrection, what God has done for you, remember that. And let that be your unity. Let that be your motivation for unity and for peace. Recall what God has done for you. Remember your calling. As Paul addresses those in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, there's a lot of different things that we'll just kind of mention as you read through those first few chapters in Philippians, and what he tells them. He says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Be like-minded to the same love of one accord. Let nothing be done through strife or, or vainglory or selfish conceit. In humility, esteeming others better than yourselves, just like Christ made himself of no reputation. You humble yourself in that way. Look to the interest of others and not your own interest. Just like Christ became a servant and do things without complaining, without disputing. 
You see how He wants us to be unified? How He wants us to have peace? This very act of Christ becoming a man is motivation for us that we might be unified. We might do what He wants us to do. Peter's audience was struggling with persecution. With persecution and sufferings and attacks on them. So he tells them in 1 Peter chapters 1 and 2 to remember your salvation. Remember what God has done for you that you could, again, you could not do for your own self. This is the way that we stand firm in God's grace and have this in the midst of persecution. How can I be happy? How can I be unified when I'm, being, when I'm suffering, when I'm persecuted? Well, that's how remembering what Christ has done for me. That's the very thing that He's done for you is what He wants me to do for Him. Then in chapters 2 and 3, Peter tells them to submit to authorities, to submit to unfair governments, slaves to uh, submit to unfair masters, those that are not treating them right, for wives to submit to unbelieving husbands, he talks about in the first part of chapter 3. So he has all this admonition for us, and all these things that we should do is our motivation for unity. But remember what Christ has done for you that you could not do for yourself. Let that be your motivation to do what God wants you to do. And then we have our reading that Anders read for us this morning. We appreciate that in verses 8 through 12. Peter shows how that we can all get along. Here in verse number 8, he gives five different virtues or different uh, commitments that he wants us to make, things that he wants us to do virtues that He wants us to have in our life that we can get along. He gives us some rules for engagement in a time of dealing with problems and, and disputes among fellow Christians. And He wants us to practice these, these things that we study together today. So let's think about some of these things that we read about in these first few verses here. How do we all get along? How do we avoid conflict? How do we preserve unity and enjoy oneness? Well, these commitments here that He gives us are our guidelines to follow. Again, those are our rules of engagement. He gives us two major truths, two major points that I think He he points out to us here of how to get along with others. First of all, that we have these virtues or these commitments in our life and also some guidelines that we'll talk about next of how to deal with those uh, problems. It takes work and it takes effort on our part. It's not easy to always get along. Yeah, there's going to be problems. There's going to be struggles. So it's going to take some work and effort. And when we think about this, it's, it's uh, me trying my best, being motivated, being, trying very hard to make all this work together. It's not, it doesn't just happen so many times. So these virtues are necessary for us to get along with others. Uh, generally, anytime disunity or uh, when we're not unified, it's because some kind of breakdown of these things in verse number 8. We need to have conv- conviction and compassion and, and toward these per- and pursue these things that we talk about today. So let's talk about thinking the same, being harmonious, but having that unity of mind is the first thing he mentions in verse number eight. Being same-minded, thinking the same, having this attitude and aim and purpose of unity that God and, and Christ and the Holy Spirit have. Well, one thing I want to notice is that having that same mind and unity of spirit doesn't mean 100% total agreement in everything all the time. That's not what it means. 
uniformity. It doesn't mean that. We're, we're exactly the same. Nor does it mean that uh, we have the same taste, we have the same gifts, we have the same habits and abilities. But it does mean that we're committed to a common mindset. We have our mindset on the same thing, which is unity, which is peace uh, among ourselves. To get along with others, we've got to be committed to the same thing, the same way of thinking. Try to understand someone else's position. Put yourself in their shoes the way they might be thinking. That's being same-minded and thinking how, of the way they might be thinking. Having the same thought process or trying to do that. We have to, we have to remember, that, look, we're, we're on the same team. We're working for the same master against the same enemy for the same goal and the same purpose. We're on the same side of the battle. We're fighting the devil, that enemy of ours. And he gives us this idea of harmony. And when you think of harmony, you can't keep from thinking about a choir or the band. And when you think about that, you think about all these different voices that we have in the building this morning or different instruments that you have in, in a band and how those all work together. Yeah, they have a unique sound and they're different, but they all work together when they're following the same note, the same key, the same conductor, and all trying to work together and make it work. And what's the outcome? Well, it's harmony. It's beautiful music and how it works together when we're on the same page. And that's what He would desire for us, that we have the same mind. Be unified in, in the same mind. One spirit, one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel. He also talks about feeling the same, being sympathetic, having compassion one for another, to share the same feelings, having this heart of compassion. We think about Romans chapter 12 and verse number 15, how uh, Paul tells the church in Rome, to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep to those that weep. If we're suffering, suffer together. If we rejoice, rejoice together. Having that same mindset. Do you hurt when others hurt? People in this room, are you joyful when others are joyful? Do you feel what others are feeling? Do you respond with sensitivity? Peter wants Christians to treat other believers like they were experiencing the same pain. Why? Why do we want to do that? Well, first of all, because that's what Christ does for us. We have a high priest that sympathizes with us. He knows how we're feeling through our struggles, through our, our difficulties, through those times of of heartache and pain. He knows exactly how we feel. So commit to feel the same. Feel, to, feel the pain. Feel the joy. Be genuine and not insensitive or indifferent as we are many times. You know, I heard a story about a man who was on a train and uh, he was staring out the window. He had some young kids and they were running around just acting crazy and he wasn't doing anything about it. Everybody on the train is getting upset because he's not controlling his kids. He just continues to stare out the window and not pay any attention to what they're doing. And people on the train are getting madder and madder, and finally a guy stands up and says, what, would you control this stinking kids of yours? Your kids are <laughs> acting terribly. And he says, I'm sorry. I, I just got word that I lost my wife. They lost their mother. And imagine how this individual felt as he has now uh, confronted this man, how he was angry, how he was so mad at the way that he was acting, but now he hopefully has a heart of compassion and sees 
what this individual is going through and the difficulty he's having. So hopefully that can touch us in some way and how that we feel, or how that we need to look and feel the same way other people are feeling or try to put ourselves in their shoes at times and how that they might be struggling just as we are. So how do we approach others, especially when we're in conflict with them? How do we approach them? Think about that as we go along this morning. Another thing that he mentions there in those first commitment or character virtues are brotherly love. This type of friendship, this friendship that we have that we really like one another. We're family. We love one another. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? This love of friendship, this love of affection. Peter says, commit yourself like a spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't treat other Christians as strangers or just mere acquaintances or some distant relative. Treat them like close family that we're trying to get along. You know, I'm not real close with my sister. I only have one sister, and I'm not real close to her. And sometimes I disagree with the way that she does things. I'm, I know she disagrees with the way I do things at times. But you know, one thing that families don't generally do is split up. You know, yeah, we may have conflict. We may disagree over something for a short amount of time, but we're not going to part ways. And it's the same with us. Look, we're the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your eternal family. We're together forever in heaven someday. That's our goal. That's our aim. That's our purpose. That's what Jason and I desire for our flock, for this congregation. You, as I, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would all be saved, that we would all go to heaven. Even those that sometimes rub us the wrong way. Even those that are a, a problem or a pest at times or an issue that we may see each other in that way at times. A person to avoid or talk bad about because the way they're acting, the way they're treating me. Look, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're blood relatives through Jesus Christ. We've been washed in His blood. And remember this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. When we submit to Him in baptism, we become a member of the church. We're, we're all one. We're family. We're adopted as sons and daughters into Jesus Christ. We are His kids. We are brothers and sisters. And He desires for us to get along and pursue unity. Can't we do that for Him? So to get along, we need to think the same, we need to feel the same, and we need to remember that we are the same. You're not... There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, black, white. It doesn't make any difference. We're all one. We're all children of God in Jesus Christ. We also need to remember that we need to react the same. We need to be pitiful. We need to have tender hearts. Be soft-hearted and kind and, and pitiful to one another. Be kind and tender-hearted to one another. Forgiving one another just like Christ forgave you. Act on your sympathy and on your compassion that he talked about a few points ago. Act on those things. Often Christ is described as being uh, deeply touched by things that are going on around him. He moved with compassion towards others. And you remember how he says in, in the book of Matthew, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I sent you the prophets and you stoned them and killed them. 
You wouldn't listen to the warnings that I sent to you. I would have gathered you together just like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't have it. And therefore your city is left unto you desolate because you wouldn't heed to me, heed to my word. Jesus had compassions on the crowd. He was compassionate. He loved them. And we need to be soft-hearted and tender-hearted like this. Peter says, be soft and kind-hearted, literally feeling generous, uh, feeling genuine concern for others, to show pity, show compassion. In Matthew chapter 18, we talked about uh, that chapter a little bit this morning, but right after the admonition of going to our brother, and, and when we have a problem, we have a difficulty with one another, he talks about the parable of the unforgiving steward. We have a master that uh, has a servant that owes him so much money he could never repay it. There's no way. Well, he freely forgives that servant of this huge debt that he could never repay. And then this, as he was forgiven, he goes out and finds a man that owes him a small amount and throws him into prison and doesn't forgive him. And the master hears about that and he's very upset. And he goes back to that man and he throws him in prison. He says, since you wouldn't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven either. That, and chapter 18 and verse number 33, he talks about having this forgiving heart. He said it's from your heart. You need to forgive from your heart and for, forget that. Don't hold this grudge. Don't hold this uh, problem in your heart forever. Put that off and forget about that and forgive. You react the same as he did. Be soft and tender-hearted. You know, generally, those that are, are hard-hearted and calloused are difficult, don't have a lot of friends, don't have a lot of people hanging around them. Those that are soft-hearted, kind, compassionate, those are people that people are drawn to. They do have friends, and that's who you want to hang out with, who you want to be with. And finally, treating others the same, being humble in spirit, being courteous, as it reads. To be lowly and bowed down in your mind causes us to be courteous to others. If you think about too highly about yourself or of myself, and I'm putting myself up a little bit higher than everybody else, which I have a, we have a hard time submitting, don't we? We have a hard time bringing ourselves down when we're trying to lift ourselves up. And it makes it difficult to unify and to be courteous as God would have us to. So we need to act on brotherly love, be considerate and respectful of others. One who could submit to others in the way that God wants us to, remembering what He's done for us, makes it a lot easier when we're suffering persecution and how that we have to submit to other people who sometimes we want to think of as sinful or more sinful than us. Think about that for a minute as we um, consider people that are around us in the world and how that Peter's telling his uh, readers to submit to these wicked governments. How do you do that? Well, you remember Christ. You remember what He's done for you. And it makes it a lot easier. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in spirit. Bring yourself down low. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think then we can do that. Then we can be successful in that objective. One who can submit to others who are sinful because we are sinful as well, well, you're putting your trust in God. You're trusting Him that He's going to help you through that. You know, we think about the terrible things that might be going on in our country. 
But on the other hand, you think about how God sets up authorities. He sets up powers, the Scriptures tell us. So it's not something we have to worry about. We just have to worry about my part, which is submitting to the government, even though I might not agree with them 100% and the things that are going on. My part is submission. And yeah, maybe there's a terrible, wicked leader like Pharaoh that's put into power to teach God's people a lesson. It's happened before. It's happened many times since. How that we would understand and humble ourselves and submit to God as He would have us to do. This is the how to get along commitment. How to have this contrite heart. How that we think of ourselves in a humble manner and think of others more significant than ourselves, just like Jesus humbled Himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. So I'm obedient. So here's the right response in, in conflict. You know, we've talked about these commitments. If we have these commitments in our life and in our heart, it's going to help us through any type of difficulty. Generally, if I'm having problems and difficulties, it's because of the breakdown of one of those things that we just talked about. I'm not trying to submit myself. I'm not doing the right things. I don't have those character commitments in my heart and in my life as I need to. Now, if I do, this is the next thing. This is our uh, how to get along guidelines. The next thing I need to do. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to, you, for to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. So what is our guideline as a Christian? Don't repay evil for evil, but instead give a blessing. So when someone's speaking bad about me, what's my response? Do I jump on that? I'm going to speak bad about you. You're speaking bad about me. Too many times that is my response, but that's not the proper response and guideline that the Scriptures give us. The guideline that He gives us is not repay evil for evil, but instead give blessing. Talk good about my brethren. Talk good about the church and about one another. Bless them. Not repaying this evil for evil and this speech for speech, insult for insult, attack for attack, but instead give this blessing. Don't retaliate, but instead give a blessing. Blessing means to praise or to speak well of others. Showing active kindness to those who are attacking or persecuting or insulting you. Don't retaliate, but speak well of them. Christian's response is returning good for evil. Think about it. When you have evil, and I'm trying to clean up the evil or get rid of the evil, well, obviously the proper response is not to add more evil. That's not going to help, is it? You can't clean dirt with dirt. (laughs) You have to clean it in the proper way. In the same way with evil in our life. How are we going to do that? We're going to not retaliate, but to return good for evil instead. How do you bless others? By loving them unconditionally, for praying for them, forgiving them, just as Christ has done for us. And you might say, why? You know, that's what Peter said. Peter asked Christ, he said, well, how many times have I got to forgive this guy that's sinning against me? Seven times? That sounds reasonable. Forgive him seven times. And what did Jesus tell him? He said, no, not till seven times, but until 70 times seven. In, in other words, unlimited forgiveness. Yeah, I'm going to forgive no matter, no matter how many times it takes. And that's the type of attitude that Christ taught that He wants us to have. 
at the end of verse number 9, he gives us reason, reason for this positive reaction to this hostile behavior. To inherit a blessing. You were called to inherit a blessing. But if you're repaying evil for evil, are you going to inherit that blessing? Probably not, are you? Repay no one evil for evil, but give. When he reviled, he didn't revile in return, but he, he blessed. He gave. Peter gives this, quotes this psalm in Psalm chapter 34 at the end of this verse. And think about some of the things he, he talks about here. He talks about our passions, our, our desires, and our motives. Uh, three important steps, our passions and our behavior and our motives that He wants us to do, things that He tells us to do. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who doesn't desire to love life and have good days? Not have an empty life, but this pursuit of happiness, what we're all looking for, what we all want, a happy life. And this is one way that you obtain that. How do you do it? Well, it takes work. It takes effort on our part that we have to keep our tongue from speaking evil and speaking deceit. We have to turn away from evil and do good. We have to seek peace and pursue it. You see, it's activity related to something I've got to do. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. But those that are evil, His, his face is against them. You see the blessing that we're trying to inherit, what we're trying to obtain, what we're shooting for, the purpose and meaning that He wants us to have, the desire that He has for us. And when I'm not doing these things, I'm actually accelerating conflict instead of trying to resolve the conflict, but I don't have those characteristics in my life that we talked about. When I'm speaking evil, I don't hold my tongue. I'm accelerating the conflict and problems. So he talks about keeping our, our tongue, keeping our mouth, but it, I can't just do that. I've got to, my behavior has to work along with that. Seek, pursue. And what am I seeking and pursuing? I'm seeking peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. These getting along motives that God wants us to have, working together, these guidelines that He gives us that we can achieve unity, that we live peaceably with all men. That's His desire for us. And finally, I want you to think about the things that we've talked about this morning. As we put it all together, we think about this peace and unity and love that God wants us to have. Think about your reaction and how that you've reacted in the past maybe against a brother, maybe against someone in this room that has wronged you in some way or you've wronged them in some way. You know, they desire to live a good life and seek peace just like you do. Everybody wants this pursuit of happiness, to live and love life. Maybe you're the stumbling block. Maybe you're the thing that's keeping them from finding this happiness because of my grudges in my heart because I won't give in to my evil desires, my internal conflict, my sin. I won't put that off. And I continue to harbor this resentment in my heart for my brother that God doesn't want me to have. Do I need to repent? 
of my speech or behavior, the way I've handled a situation with a brother and sister? Are you willing to commit to the same feeling, to have these commitment, these character virtues that we've talked about today? That's God's desire for us. Will you stop seeking revenge and actually seek to do good to your enemies and those you're in conflict with? Jesus teaches us a different way, to love our enemies, to pray for those that use us and abuse us. In times of persecution and distress and trial, how can we make it through that? Only because our commitment to Christ, and that's what He's done for us. So to be like Christ, I've got to be the same. I've got to do the same. Are you overwhelmed by God's forgiveness of your sins to the point that you're willing to forgive a brother or sister in Christ, one that's hurt you? I hope that as we've studied this morning that we recognize the importance of unity, the importance of getting along and not disputing with one another, that we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We love each other and we want to get along. If there's anything that the church can do for you this morning, will you please come forward as we stand and sing together?